Effectively securing your organization and its reputation requires a smarter approach. To maximize efficiency and minimize risk, security experts turn to Logrhythm, the only leading solution built solely for security teams by a security team committed to your success. With NextGen SIM, user and entity behavior analytics, network traffic and behavior analysis, security automation and orchestration, and compliance, Logrhythm provides security made smarter. Today's determined attackers easily bypass even the most advanced network defenses. Trying to ramp up staff to detect their back doors can cost thousands of dollars and take months, even years. With Active Countermeasures AI Hunter, we enable junior analysts to detect even the most advanced back doors in a matter of hours. Sign up for a demo and purchase our product today by visiting activecountermeasures.com forward slash ESW. Active Countermeasures, make every analyst a hunter. The greatest threat to businesses today isn't the outsider trying to get in. It's the people you trust, the ones who already have the keys, your employees, your contractors, and privileged users. 60% of online attacks are carried out by insiders. To stop these insider threats, you need to see what users are doing before an incident occurs. Observant combats insider threats by detecting risk activity, investigating in minutes, effectively responding, and stopping data lost. Give it a test drive at observeit.com forward slash security weekly. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. Myself and John Strand are here. A uh, quick reminder to view some of our previous, previously recorded webcasts even. Go to securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. Oh, there goes my keyboard. Anyway, uh, John, I want to kick things off and talk about how businesses can get the most out of pen testing. I think this was a very... Well, it covered the basics of essentially what it boils down to is make sure you've done some stuff before you have the assessment, as in, I don't know, we call that basics, hygiene, all those things. Uh, prevent a cookie cutter approach, which essentially boils down to make sure you customize the test with your pen test team. And then finally, when you get the report, make sure you actually do something with it. I think at a high level, not wrong, just very basic based on the conversations that we've had in the past on the show. The only thing that I would add into this is to make sure your house is clean. You will never feel like your house is clean. Yeah. We get this with tons of our customers. And I will further warn you, if you feel like your house is clean, if you're like, yeah, yeah, we got this. We're going to totally rock this pen test. You're about to get screwed over. Yeah. Uh, the people that do the best are the people that are constantly in a state of paranoia, that constantly feel like things aren't clean. They tend to do better. If somebody's too confident, it just doesn't end well. Now, I did uh, a briefing that I wanted to talk about with XM Cyber. Have you heard of XM Cyber before? I have not. They are in the attack simulation space. Um, I actually talked to the founder, Noam, um, actually this morning. And uh, it was interesting. I think the attack simulation market and category is absolutely fascinating. There's been an explosion of growth in this category, John. Um, mm-hmm. vendors, you know, popping up and I think largely all doing, I mean, they all have merit. Like I haven't really seen one that I'm like, well, that, you know, that that's not going to work. I'm just really excited about this space. Everyone has their different point of view, uh, on the problem. I think on one side of it, you've got the very operationally efficient and operationally focused attack simulation vendors that are not just focused on your operations, but focused on measuring and evaluating the effectiveness of your security solutions, right? So Mm -hmm. they're dropping stuff on various systems in your network. They're deploying different payloads. They, these particular kind of subcategory in attack simulation is then looking at, well, did your defenses detect 
the presence of that, right? Did your sim have something that showed you that? Did you know your firewall block something? And then some of the better ones in this subcategory are not only noticing that your defenses in an automated fashion have missed this attack, but in those results are telling you, by the way, if you configure your sim this way, then you'll be able to detect this attack. I think that's pretty no. cool. I think there's a place for that. I like this subcategory. It's very, in my opinion, more operationally focused. It's much more interesting than the endpoint security space. I mean, let's be completely yeah. honest. Mm -hmm. um, now, my question is, does XM actually, like you were talking about, do they actually integrate with your SIM, run ah, the stimulus? So they do the not. They do not. They have a different point of view on the problem. They're more, I would put them in a similar subcategory to Scythe. Um, I don't know if there's others that would fit in that subcategory, but Scythe is a sponsor that will be starting next year. Bryson will be on, on Paul Security Weekly. Um, but so XM Cyber has said, you know, look, that's, that's great. But what we want to focus on first is where they focus was, was very mature security organizations that have red teams that were like, look, the XM Cyber is like, you put our product in, we're going to bypass all of your defenses and we're going to tell you how we did it. And then we're going to make defensive recommendations based on your operating systems and configuration and not so much your solutions. Because basically their take is, look, we're going to get past these solutions. I mean, John, you and your team have proven well, it, that over time too, it, you know, that these solutions are, are easily bypassed. The harder thing is mm -hmm. if those systems are actually hardened and configured correctly, coupled with maybe some security solutions, that's kind of the magic thing. But XM Cyber, at least in the beginning, very focused on mature security organizations with their own red teams. But then also now the other kind of space they're in is more of this automated red team and blue team, kind of like a, a purple team approach, expanding beyond those really mature organizations and saying, look, we can deploy in, we're going to implement these TTPs, they're going to bypass your defenses, and we're going to give you defensive, good defensive recommendations based on that. And their take is do this rather than having a huge pen test do this as your pen testing exercise still have pen tests but highly focus them in other areas my my suggestion actually on the call uh that was agreed upon was mm -hmm. focus on my applications right tell me what's wrong inside my yeah. applications because that's that's hard and i think requires that level of testing well, but let me cover all these advanced ttps with with a product and that's that's basically xm cyber's uh point of view on the problem which i really like and, and respect that for sure. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and this is kind of it. You know, it's funny. Whenever people started getting away from the terminology of we're going to completely automate a, a red team or a pen test, I started feeling a little bit better about it. Also, mm -hmm. once we started getting things like the MITRE ATT&CK technique matrix, we now have a framework that these different tools can actually test mm -hmm. to and actually map to and report to from a gap analysis perspective. Because for a long time, some of the earlier vendors that we talked about like five years ago, it was just like, we hire the best hackers. Well, what the hell are they doing? Is there a framework they're following? What are they not following? And now we have that framework. And I think it's now getting to the point where you have those possibilities. The other thing I wanted to get your opinion on on mm -hmm. this, and this is a concern that I have, is we're seeing these products start to come out, and that's great. But I'm starting to see a lot of red team companies that actually do this for a living. They're actually starting to take a step back from putting malware on an endpoint and now we're looking at abusing cloud services. Now we're mm -hmm. talking about credential stuffing. Now we're talking about trying to gain access to the APIs that are exposed on the outside of the environment. And I worry that we're just now getting caught up with technologies that we should have had a while ago 
And a lot of the attack techniques are moving on. And I hope that a lot of these firms continue to evolve and start adopting and integrating with these cloud type of attack methodologies as well. Yeah, we didn't talk specifically about cloud, John, but uh, Noam definitely said that it's more about attack paths to from someone completely external, you know, perhaps um, all the way to your critical data. And that XM Cyber was very focused on, look, we're going to find the paths to your critical data. That's how they design their product. And I really like that for a lot of reasons, right? We talked about attack paths when I worked at Tenable. And, you know, the, the big thing there was, yeah, sure, you could find all these vulnerabilities but it, and fix them. And that's good. I mean, you should do that, right? But what are those paths that an attacker or pen tester would take to go from starting the attack all the way to I have access to your critical data and did you detect me? Now, in a human pen test uh, situation, you may engage with a pen test. You may have longer term tests. You may have quarterly tests, maybe yearly tests, but it's still a point in time type of assessment and can only tell you about so many attack paths. What also Noam said that I thought was interesting, John, is that red teams that work for you know, the really big targets that have a lot of sensitive data, that have their own red teams that are constantly pen testing, is that they're oversubscribed and they're overbooked, that there are business units and applications coming up that go, well, we really need the internal red team to look at this. And what he said was most internal red teams at these companies are, are oversubscribed. That's where I yep. really like this product fit is it can tell me on a constant basis about all of my attack paths. I had that fear when I was a pen tester, John, that I would do a week-long assessment, a two-week-long assessment, and you were in this too, and you're like, well, I found this path in, got me to critical data. I used a completely different technique and a completely different path. And then I'm like, how many paths could I find before my timer runs out? And I'm like, how do they, moving forward, constantly discover and shut off those paths? To me, that was the real value of XM Cyber Solution. And, and a few things about that, right? Like, number one, that's why we bought Scythe, is yep. for us and our testers, whenever we gain access to an endpoint, if we go through it manually, we're only going to be able to get so much coverage. And mm -hmm. a tool like Scythe actually helped us branch that out and make that a lot greater than what it was and the amount of time frame that's allotted. That's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, uh, you talk about the oversubscription of these teams. Yeah. And I totally get that. We see that all the time. But good. I'm also, glad you confirmed that. Yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why that's like 25% of our business is because companies don't have their own pen testing staff gotcha. to handle what they need to do. Yep. But this gets back to something that you and I have been doing for years. Uh, remember, we, we used to do those webcasts. And we should come back and do them again, the pen test preparations yes. webcast. Yes. And we said, here's what we are going to do mm -hmm. for a web app test assessment. Here's what we're going to do for an internal C2 pivot. And here's how you stop us. And the reason why is we don't want to document group policy preference files that yeah, have- In every uh, report, right? Yeah. <laughs> ever again. I don't ever want to document 450 cross-site scripting vulnerabilities yeah. ever again. And if these tools can start taking 80% of that repeatable stuff that happens all the damn time mm -hmm. off the table, that allows your pen testing team, internal, your red team, or an external team mm -hmm. to focus on new pathways, to look at new possible vulnerability paths that are unique to your organization. And that's ultimately the quality that you want to get out of anything that you do anyway. So this just helps you get there faster. Yep. Yeah. So I was uh, glad I found them and was able to uh, talk with them. And I think it's a, a very valid strategy that John and I talked about for how you are constantly assessing um, you know, your systems. And uh, yeah, more on that as the space evolves, certainly. 
So cool stuff. Um, some funding news. Uh, Venify has secured $100 million in a financing round. Now, we did an interview with them, and I think we've got another interview coming up uh, with someone from Venify. Um, the interview coming up, though, is about a talk that they're giving at InfoSec World through that program. Um, but essentially, they make... Um, what does Venify do? Well, hold on, I had it. They actually... It's, this it's, is, they're actually have you experienced... Cool. They actually- Ahead, yeah, they do that machine identity. Okay. So whenever you're identifying two two endpoints talking to each other, it's much more than just looking at, you know, here's the IP address, source, and destination. Um, it's actually looking at what are what are the actual components of that particular device that you can use to actually identify it in addition to the standard identification. So it's basically taking that concept of identity and expanding it quite a bit, which is kind of neat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, White Fox Defense has landed $12 million in funding. Now, this what isn't really... a weird article. It is weird, and I, it's not necessarily cybersecurity, right? But I think it's cool, and here's why. Um, so White Fox does drone defense technologies. And there's actually a few companies out there that are doing drone defense technologies. Um, one of the ones that we had on the show was Spotter RF was another one as well. Um, and... And I always thought this was kind of neat, and I always thought maybe, you know, those high security level organizations that are doing physical security benefit from this technology. Not too many ties maybe into what, you know, we talk mostly about on these shows that we do here at Security Weekly. However, on Hack Naked News last week, we talked about a cool story where in, it was actually, remember Max Vision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so it, Max in prison got in trouble because there was some kind of scheme that he was doing that was stealing credit cards, but the way that they were getting phone, so he's in trouble for that, so he's probably going to spend, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. potentially facing a longer sentence. Long time in prison. Yeah, yeah. so I thought it was interesting that we could trace it back, and uh, Kevin Paulson, I think, wrote a book about that and stuff. That's an interesting story. But also, in the same story uh, where Max is being uh, in the prison that he's in, one of the ways they were getting contraband into the prison was people were flying drones over the fences and dropping off the contraband and someone was going to pick it up. I'm like, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. I can see that as a a valid uh, method and I can see the market for now prisons having this anti-drone technology to prevent contraband coming in. You can read about that hack... I need cigarettes and malleable toothbrushes, and I need them in, in large quantities. Right. Um, so, yeah. Th- this, is, this absolutely does apply to the show, right? Because one of the things about this article that I love is one, it gives you a little better background information about the people behind it, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, number one. Number two, the other thing that it shows is when we're looking at computer security, it, it kind of echoes back to what we just talked about. The concept of what we're defending is rapidly expanding when we're talking about IoT and drones. And how our enterprises and organizations can actually deal with that is something that many of them just aren't ready for at all. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Pindrop has raised ninety million dollars for bi- biometric voice authentication. Wow. Now, this was interesting. The reason I thought it was interesting wow. is we were talking about security in healthcare organizations and specifically hospitals. And everyone's talking about multi-factor authentication, right? It's definitely one of the themes that we've seen an increase in chatter uh, in the security community and industry, respectively. And when we put that in a hospital setting, I, sometimes I have to like remind folks that a physical two-factor authentication device 
in something like an operating room, it's not going to work, right? Like there are other concerns inside of a hospital for the spread of germs and, and other things that you, you, you can't have those things in an operating room, for example. And I'm sure folks that work in healthcare and security are you know, more intimately familiar with those details. However, voice authentication, I think, is a great use case for doctors, right? You don't want a doctor losing their two-factor auth. You don't want them having well, to touch something, right? That's, that's and, what I was going to say. voice is great, right? Imagine they put their rubber gloves on. Yes. And they're like, ah, oh, crap, my USB token, it's in my pocket here. Yep. Let's plug that dirty, filthy thing in. Or my CAC card. Have you seen CAC cards? Yeah. Have they're you seen how filthy. dirty these things get? That give Yeah. Any kind of authentication device <laughs> is filthy. You're right. Absolutely. And I love, if you actually do look at how they can differentiate between a real voice and a recording of that voice, it's kind of cool technology that I truly do not understand. And I'm an audio engineer. So right. it's really neat um and you're right like if somebody's got their hands in my guts i don't want them to have to stop and put in a password if they can yes. just wheel the card over and say my voice is my password i want it to be it. more like sneakers but more difficult to bypass <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly oh that's great um minerva labs has announced uh support for vmware i think it's pretty cool i think if you know you're you're going to have VMware internally. I don't think that the shift yeah. to the cloud is going to replace every single server inside of your environment, certainly yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, even still, yeah. there's so many use cases where you have to have the physical hardware here. It's one of my pains, right? To support the production of this show, we have to have systems here. And so you're going to have you know this type of system, and this makes it easy to deploy Minerva's technology. Lenny Zeltzer did a great segment on... Well. Paul Security Weekly. Dude, it's an hour-long tutorial on reverse engineering malware from Lenny Zeltzer that's distributed for free. You can go to minerva-labs.com forward slash security weekly. You can get all of Lenny's materials. Uh, you can look at that technical segment. The amazing thing about Lenny's technical segment, one of the amazing things was you can ac actually listen and still get all of the information without actually watching. I was like, Lenny, that was amazing. Like you described everything that you did so that just listening to it. So either that was great and the Minerva Labs team is doing a great job and really went into not just the tutorial, but also how some of those behaviors, how Minerva's product can actually detect those, right? And it becomes clear that even basic malware is doing some basic checks and advanced malware is doing advanced checks, but they're all testing for some type of, whether it's debugging, whether it's a flag here, a flag there, and that's what Minerva does is emulate that and, and turn it off. Now you can deploy that out through VMware. Cool stuff. Um, Security Scorecard has announced a partnership with CyberNance. And they say it drives holistic view of cyber risk across the enterprise. And no idea about CyberNance at all. Me neither. Security Scorecard is collecting data one of the things to do is collect data from the internet about your exposures and it sounds like cybernance is doing like the assessment of your security for third-party risk this is kind of a blending of the two so basically if you're going to adopt a vendor let's say you want to know what their assessment scores are looking like but you can validate those things by going to security scorecard through this integration or partnership and say, you know, like they said that they were doing this thing to stop this exposure, but you go to security scorecard and they're like, no, we totally found like an open S3 share or whatever with tons of data on it. That's well, kind of a lame example, but you know what I'm getting at. And I've got that kind of old school view on a lot of this. It looks like it's a really pretty front end for something like Recon NG. 
Um, but all yeah, that there's aside, a lot of open source tools that can that can do this, right? And there's absolutely. a lot of vendors that are so are doing if you a look really at, good job of it. But if you look at Security Scorecard, though, the thing that should get everyone to kind of jump up and take notice is their integration with cybersecurity insurance company. Um, yep. Cyber insurance companies are actually starting to use this service, and, and they damn well should be, mm-hmm. is whenever they're trying to underwrite a company for cyber liability or an umbrella or cyber theft or any of those different types of insurance policies, and you basically have to fill out and say, yes, we patch, yes, we do this, yes, we do this. And if they get a scorecard back that says, no, you're running server 2003 at the edge of your environment and your security scorecard sucks, it's going to impact your insurance, your ability to get insurance and your premiums. So this is huge from that perspective. And I, I generally had, you know, when I'm talking to customers, I'm saying, buy, don't buy. And in this, I'm like, don't buy. I, I, you know, you can do a lot of this crap on your own. Yep. It's just produced a pretty graph. But damn, once you load insurance into this, it changes that entire dynamic very quickly. And it becomes something that's going to become indispensable in many organizations very quickly. Uh, speaking of attack simulation, uh, Nopsec is uh, getting into this and building capabilities into their products. They had an announcement. Nopsec, uh, of course, collects all of that vulnerability data from various sources, um, allows you to prioritize it, normalize it, so that you can effectively prioritize remediation in your environment. It's one of those things that's a kind of a missing feature from the major VM uh, players. And also now, Nopsec is adding in an attack simulation component to it to validate those results, which something that I, I think Rapid7 likely has some of that functionality with the blending of uh, Nexpos and Metasploit. Um, and it, it's something you can do through integrations, but here it is all in one platform uh, from Nopsec, which is pretty cool. I mean, I li- I'm biased. I like the folks at Nopsec. Adrian Santabria is over there. Uh, it's a good friend of mine, so I'm biased. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Also, one of my former Tenable co-workers uh, is over at Nopsec. But I, I think that's a... It's a, interesting, John. That's almost an additional use case for attack simulation. And I think something we always wanted to have built into vulnerability management was that validation of um, actually simulating or exploiting that, that vulnerability. Well, and we talked about it in a previous story or previous week, but Core with Core Impact yeah. could have had the jump on this entire space. Oh. I know uh, years ago mm-hmm. um, and it just didn't mature. And I, I don't know why that, that didn't happen whenever it should have happened. I but know. when we're talking about vulnerabilities and we've discussed it many, many times, it's not just about the, the CVEs that are discovered. It's now about the pathways and finding those pathways. And those aren't something that you can identify just simply by looking at missing patches. Yeah. Yeah. And core me, that's so easy to find those pathways even back in the day. Right. Yeah. And, and all you had to do was like three, four clicks. And all uh, they needed to do is actually automate that. Yes. And I, I know. We, this is a long story. A lot of the people that we worked with at Core are long, long, long gone. Yes. Um, let's see. Um, high profile incidents and new technology are driving cybersecurity uh, MA. So basically, they're saying that there's a lot of acquisitions happening in cybersecurity. They're attributing that to the high profile incidents that are happening which I get. What I think is interesting, John, is while there are cybersecurity companies getting acquired, for every one that gets acquired, two or three more are springing up as startups. And so I, well, this is very much a thriving space. It, it is from a financial perspective. I would stay the hell away from it from an investment perspective. Like we talked about 
endpoint security vendors. Like you said, two, three of those damn things pop up every single week. Mm -hmm. And I don't see a lot of growth opportunity financially for that. The other thing that's been concerning for me on the mergers and acquisitions is I'm starting to wonder how many of the, the investment firms are starting to try and get their money out as quickly as they possibly can because the stock market's starting to get a little bit weird. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens if we actually do enter to an economic slowdown, the stock market start, continues to get weird like it has, what that's actually going to do to the security industry and new innovations coming out. Because it could be it drives that innovation. This is a safe place to put your money. Or the other thing that it could do is once people start losing their money, they're going to try to divest. They're trying to sell the IP, trying to get purchased to basically get out of these investments as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next six months in this space. Yep. Uh, Rapid7 has issued a cyber exposure report. Uh, they went to oh. their tools. Now, a few things oh that I love God. about this. Um, Todd Beardsley <laughs> from Rapid7 came on and talked about Sonar and Heisenberg, which are essentially their projects to monitor the entire internet for what's happening out there in terms of open ports and all kind of passive DNA. I mean, one of them is, and he explains it, what Sonar and Heisenberg are respectively. One Heisenberg, I think, is the passive one. Sonar is the more active scanning one. Um, based on the data they've collected, they took, what was it, 423 of the Fortune 500 were data from all those companies and analyzed the data but the part that I love about Rapid7 and this whole thing is they're distributing the report for free. It doesn't even require registration. So I, it's a great contribution to the community. And some very interesting data in here, John. I think you can yeah, probably okay. Okay. validate some of this data <laughs> yourself, right? So I've always said like we're very much on the pointy end of the spear. We get a lot of more advanced organizations that come through, which is great. But this one bullet point really struck home is they said of the appraised Fortune 500 organizations, 330 have weak or non-existent anti-phishing defenses. Holy crap. Yeah, and they, they talk, <laughs> if you read their report, they talk about how they, they, they've done that. That's a, a highlighted section in their report uh, is through a few different mechanisms how they actually determined uh, if anti-phishing technologies were there. Because that was my first question was how did they determine, and I, I didn't read all of the details, but it, they do spend time talking about that in the report. And it's based on the data they collect from their their projects. Everyone should go read it. Yes, agreed. Um, the rest were kind of just mentioned, Sean. Were any of the them in there uh, interesting for you? Clarity's got an okay. announcement. Uh, so ICS. I do want to say thank you. There was like two 2019 prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so happy that we're not going to talk about those. But okay, no, good. I don't think there's anything that I want to discuss. So I'm good to go. All righty. Well, John, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening and watching this edition of Enterprise Security Weekly. We'll see you next time.